Today on the Rise Together podcast, I have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone who is going through an experience that has affected my family as well. My paternal grandfather passed away from Parkinson's disease. And today I am going to have a conversation with a person named John Clayton, who himself is fighting this disease that doesn't have a great ending. His terminal diagnosis is something that he writes about in his memoir, Parkinson's Blues, that was published in September of this year. We have a fantastic conversation about what it means to have what you thought your future might look like upended by a diagnosis like this and how to stay hopeful and focused on the good inside of the heart. Please welcome John Clayton to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. I'm going to give a quick introduction for people who may not be familiar with you, and then I'm going to have you amend my introduction with the actual version of who you are. But I know that you have published nine volumes of fiction. There's some novels and there are some short, short stories. You have in your collection right. interwoven short stories like Minion and it, in being published in 2016 was a part of your work, your collection, Many Seconds Into the Future, happened in 2014. Mitzvah Man, your fourth novel, was in 2011. And here we are, in part, talking about your memoir, Parkinson's Blues, that came out in September of this year, 2020. I know that you uh, are an accomplished scholar, in addition to being an author, and that you have a BA from Columbia, a master's from NYU, a PhD from Indiana. You have more schooling then I could have in a lifetime. So congratulations for that. And uh, in addition to your schooling, you've taught literature and fiction writing as a professor and then professor emeritus at the University of Massachusetts. So uh, I am excited that you are here, but beyond me trying to introduce you, would you, for anyone who is not familiar with you or your work, introduce yourself to our listeners? And the, the, the nice thing about my career is that I was able to do was able to write and at the same time to teach literature, to teach great literature. If I had to just do creative writing classes, I would have gone crazy. I came through strong and healthy until I was my first 81, 81st birthday. And then I went to a doctor and the doctor said, yeah, funny, your face is a little frozen, it's like a mask. It's possible you have Parkinson's. And I said, oh, come on, I don't have Parkinson's. She said, well, no, maybe not, maybe not. So I started, I went to a neurologist, and by God, if I don't have Parkinson's. And somewhere in the beginning of the book, I refer to a Monty Python routine. Of you know course. Monty Python. Okay, this is the routine where this, uh, this is a guy who's in a living room, and someone starts asking him questions and questions and questions. And he says, what, I, what is this? I didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. And 
suddenly the door bursts open and Michael Palin in a red in a red 16th century robe bursts out and says, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. And in, he, they would use that skit every once in a while and, and all sorts of things to break the scene. But that's the thing about Parkinson's. Nobody expects Parkinson's. Nobody expects to lose a child. Nobody expects a stroke. Suddenly life comes on you like that and you have to figure out what to do with it. And you think, well, I, I, I can, I'm going to be strong and, and, and take this on. But it's not like cancer where you can take it on. It's, it's, uh, it's unbeatable. It's unbeatable. And, you, and I say that I don't want to fake it. I don't want to fake it for a good eulogy at my, at my funeral. Uh, it, I'm going to try to be straight and straight with myself, straight with, with the disease. I just wanted to take a look at something here. This is the book. Ah, who's that handsome devil on the cover? Oh my God, isn't it? <laughs> How to Heal Parkinson's, it's called, and this section. And I'm not going to read the whole, the whole thing, just a little teeny bit. Ladies and gents, don't tell a soul, but fact is, you can't do a hell of a lot about healing Parkinson's. We, bourgeois in the plebeian sense, we're so used to making demands on reality when something isn't going right. We don't take no for an answer. Saul Bellow writes somewhere that being bourgeois means figuring out as you slip and fall on a neighbor's icy sidewalk, the, un the insurance money you're going to win. But Parkinson's is not like a twisted ankle or a leaky pipe. No, indeed, ladies and gents, it's not, I'm going to fight this, I'm going to fix this, a joke. We speak of illness through the metaphor of war, the battle against cancer. So sorry you have a health challenge. A friend writes me some challenge, like unarmed slaves who are fighting against in the Colosseum against uh, raw, rough animals. So I'm trying to be straight with, with the disease. And it's not just this disease, but all the things that take over your life. I've been wrestling recently with what are the gifts that might be presented inside of 2020 because it has been a hard year for basically everyone. And I think one of the gifts that has presented itself, whether we wanted it or not, was the revelation of how little control we actually have ever had. We may have lived under the illusion of yes. having had control and now 2020 has uh, made sure that we are clear that we do not in fact have control. And uh, as much as we could have done things to try and prevent the things that are happening or could have wished or worked to try and keep them from having turned out the way that they did, sometimes things just inevitably end up happening. And I'm sure uh, there isn't something that necessarily would have prevented Parkinson's as much as there isn't something that would have prevented a quarantine or any of a uh, hundred other things that people might be struggling through in real time. How do you, in a diagnosis like this, a terminal diagnosis, come to accept that this is just your fate now? This is the, the, the life that you will inevitably live until you're done living in a world where you may also have lived in some bit of disbelief in 
the control that you you know thought you might have had. Good question. Let me let me let me tell you the story of the three-legged dog. You know, you, you, you have you ever seen a three-legged dog? Where, yeah, they, sometimes they'll put a wheel on, or sometimes they'll just trot along and three legs. And the point is, they don't know they're three-legged. They're just what they are, and so that you could a dog may mourn for a lost master or for another dog, but will never mourn after the original pain of the surgery goes away. They'll never mourn for their lost leg. And it's like I, I said at one point in this book, let me be like a three-legged dog. Let me learn to, to accept and not struggle and fight against it all the time. Uh, and at the same time, you wind up struggling, fighting, you, you, you curse your fate. And, and thank God I've got a good wife. She's going to have to be a good wife because it's going to get harder. That's the thing about Parkinson's is that it gets harder. It doesn't just stay the same. And I've got friends. And of course, because I'm a writer, I have to write. And I didn't want to write a short story about Parkinson's. I didn't want to write a, a novel, God knows, about Parkinson's. I started to, I sat down at my desk and I started to find myself going in crazy directions. I call it digressive, digressive form. And suddenly my mother came into the picture, into the, uh, into the narrative. I, I, so I talk, I, these are like a bunch of essays, if you want to call them that, memoirs, you want to call them that. And, uh, and, they, and they, they, they burst into new, new directions that don't seem to fit in the beginning. I couldn't understand why am I talking about my mother in, in talking about Parkinson's. Uh, because my mother was suffering and wanted me to feel the suffering all the time. And she would say, what, what do you mean you have a stomachache, Jackie? What do you mean you have a, a headache? You're my son. My son can't have a headache. So uh, I grew up with, a, uh, with a, a mother who was a very loving mother and who sat at the typewriter and I dictated my stories to her. So she's oh, she was wonderful. She's also a little crazy. Most mothers are. That, that's maybe I think an ingredient of a good mom. Where did you grow? Down up? in Southern California, San Clemente, good ah. good part of the world. Right. So I know you've been a writer all your life, but yeah. this latest book, Parkinson's Blues, is a memoir instead of the fiction space that you'd previously worked inside of. Right. I'm curious how the act of writing about yourself as opposed to inventing things that you were writing about made you feel, is there a difference in memoir fashion versus fiction world creation fashion? Some of these images, some of these characters that, are, that really happened, things that really happened, memoir, um, I used in previous stories, but they took on a different cast when I, was writing nonfiction. The, 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 the beautiful thing about this kind of writing was that I didn't, not just that I didn't make it up, but that I didn't know where it was going. It was like, it was like, how did I get there? I, I, I'll do that, I'll try that. And, and then, oh my God, that story comes back. The story of my, my father who uh, takes me to was a place called St. Nicholas Arena 
It was where boxing matches took place on Friday nights. This was the kind of rocky boxing matches with uh, guys who weren't well-trained and who bled a lot. And we sat down there in the front of, of the arena, in front of the uh, ropes, and splat got splattered with blood, and, and I got sick all over myself. And, and then my father screamed at me because, because I was such a sissy. And, and knowing that when we got home, my mother was going to take chew him out for, for uh, uh, taking me to a place like that. My, so little incidents of my father came in, incidents of my mother. My father was a guy who, if he got cut off by another car in New York City, and he'd, we'd both get up to the park to the light, he'd, he'd honk his horn, he'd get out of the car, and smash on the window of the car that's next to him and say, you want to fight? Get out of your car, you bum. Nobody ever got out of their car. <laughs> so, um, but the, so the stories of Parkinson's somehow turned down to a story like that. And it had to do with sickness, feeling sick with, with, with the, the fighting match. And the stories of my mother started to come in, which were about healing and about being sick. So... Um, this is a, a lovely book. It's, it's funny. It's not just a, a, a tragic book. It, it, it's funny. Like, I, I, but I'll t I can tell you story after story and, see, and you can see how they connect to healing and sickness. Basically, I, I learned how to deal with sickness from my mother dealing with her sickness and, and the faults in, in that dealing. I'm curious, I am aware of Parkinson's only because of the experience I had with my grandfather, and I don't know that I was that familiar with it, maybe outside of Muhammad Ali, but I don't know that I knew a ton about it. I'm curious if you had a lot of knowledge of what it was, or if it was not until your diagnosis that you actually came to understand what it is and what it means. Strange, you know, you mentioned that, that I knew nothing about Parkinson's except that I have my previous wife has a brother who's schizophrenic and has Parkinson's. His, the pills that he took uh, gave him Parkinson's. So I've, I've written about him. And yet I had no idea that it suddenly, ha ha, is going to be about me. Um, but he has to walk with a walker. And I, I saw an extreme form of Parkinson's. And when I got, when I got Parkinson's, I thought, oh my God, is that going to happen to me? Well, the thing is, it is, it is. And, and your first question is, how am I going to cope? Am I going to let that, it's not, I can't beat it, but, but am I going to be able to accept? And then again, my father and mother came into the picture and I, I thought about the ways in which they were, they were awful with each other, awful, hit each other, scream at each other, so on, all that stuff. But towards the end of their life, the last 10 years, they became kind, they became generous, they didn't pick at each other. And in, in a sense, Parkinson's, my Parkinson's is, I'm, re I'm remembering those, those days and the way in which they began to love each other. That's beautiful, that's beautiful. I know in the book, 
you talk about the concept of the dark unexpected. Yes. For you, the dark unexpected was Parkinson's. Can you just share with listeners a little bit about what this term means for you? It's the Spanish Inquisition. They come with their instruments, the case of instruments, the torture. And in a way, you know that's going to happen. Uh, everybody has the suffering to go through in different, in different levels. It's as if it lives inside you. You know that, that your children are hostages to life. You know that, that you're, you're going to, to um, have times when, you're, when you develop sickness, but you don't know when, and, and that's the dark unexpected. Yeah. When you, when you talk about it, as much as no one expects a diagnosis like Parkinson's or a cancer or, frankly, anything else, are there different experiences between something that ends up being a chronic illness versus something unexpected like the sudden passing of a spouse or family member? Are there different lessons that you learn when you realize the thing that you are going to be living with forever versus something that has the rug pulled and has you having to grieve in a different kind of yes. way? Yeah, there's um, my, my son died of cancer and the pain of that was certainly equal to or better bigger than the pain of, of Parkinson's but it but it stops it's not the pain doesn't stop but the but the event happens and stops he, he winds up getting cancer and dying and being buried and then you mourn for him yeah but and with cancer well you've got another possibility of some cure coming in and but with uh, Parkinson's, or um, what's the, the the loss of memory? Uh, Alzheimer's. Like Alzheimer's, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's not going to just come to a point where, and then you 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 read the you read people on on the internet, they'll say, if you just get into boxing, or if you just get into dancing, or running, or or go to a gym. You can fight it. You can, and you can. You can walk better. You can, you can have less muddiness, but you can't really stop the progression. Yeah, you can slow the progression, but not you stop, can't it. stop it. And it's gonna, it's gonna take you. Uh, I admire people who can, um, can accept, as I would love to accept. I, I want to. Yeah. I just want to read you three lines. Dear God, help me accept what's coming to me. Help me join what's coming as to the strange music of a dance. I want to dance to the new music. You coming through the ballroom door, teach me to dance. Be my partner in the dance. And there I'm, I'm talking about God. I, I, Acceptance. Yeah. So I, that's, a bi that's big and, and hard and heavy when you're talking about something as big and terminal as what we're talking about. But there's beauty in releasing yourself to acceptance, even as it feels impossible. That's right, exactly. You have said that Parkinson's has been a teacher and that it allowed you to explore new ways to live, explore new ways to write. Can you talk a little bit about what the learning process has been like for any listeners who have not yet themselves experienced something like you have? It's been a teacher to me as a writer to be freer 
and not to look for the wrong kinds of rewards in writing. It's, it's like going into meditation or into, um, uh, into a spiritual discipline. One thing we haven't spoken about is exhaustion. Let's talk about it. Um, I, I begin one of my, my essays saying, I write about my exhaustion from Parkinson's, but I'm too exhausted. Some joke. My chief symptom, Doc, isn't the shakes. It's torpor, sluggishness, lethargy, thickness in the head, and what it feels like when you've got the flu. And then from that, what happens when you, you go, when I go to a discussion group or a, a reading group and we talk about ideas, and I used to be really clever. I'm not clever anymore. And I have an idea, and I try to, um, to say it. So everybody knows that I'm a little slow now. And so I start to explain the idea that I have and realize I can't, and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with the idea. And everybody's really kind to me. And, but the old days when I had snappy answers and clever, clever repartee doesn't ha exist anymore. I can have something clever on, in writing, but in talking really hard. Yeah. Your identity's changing. I mean, in real time and will continue it to is. change over time. It is. I'm, I'm slow. I used to be fast, fast. I, um, now I'm slow and my dream brain is muddy. And if I wait long enough, I can get the idea out. But the idea isn't in the full form that I originally Im Im imagined it. Yeah. I'm trying to think what would people in who are listening to a podcast on Parkinson's, what would they think um, about my response? Well, here's the thing. I mean, part of why we do this show is just to create a bridge of empathy for anyone who has not yet had an experience with the life of the person who's on the show so that they might think differently or connect better with what it might be like to walk in your shoes. So you are just in having this conversation, affording them a glimpse into a part of the world that frankly, most people probably have never ever experienced. And maybe in talking about going from sharp to slow, affording them a way of maybe also having a softened heart for or, or, or less critical eye towards someone who they end up running into at some point in their life that has Parkinson's to appreciate that this is part of a journey that you and other people, including my grandfather, you know, have been on. That's right. Let's talk about hope for a second. Hope is, uh, has been a super important ingredient in persevering through the harder times that I think we are collectively as a community working through inside of this quarantine. And I mean, shoot, I'm going through a divorce. I've had to cling to hope a ton. How do you, in the face of a terminal diagnosis, stay hopeful? Well, the diagnosis is, it's worse than a terminal diagnosis because Parkinson's doesn't kill you. You only wish it did, no. practically. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it isn't going to be the, the thing that kills you. Something else will. And so um, how do you stay hopeful? That is the question. That is a good question. You can't stay hopeful. One, one day at a time. Hopeful doesn't mean 
yeah, I, I've been through divorce, and I know this, the way you suffer in divorce. I sure do. Although, that's another story. But, <laughs> but um, there's hope. You're, if, when you get through this, you know, and the, and the finances come back, and everything is all right again. And you have hope that you, this time you've learned stuff. And you can and you can be a better father, a better husband, a, a better lover. And but in this, there's no hope for changing. There's only hope for changing yourself, in the sense of opening yourself. You spoke about something with the heart, but softening the heart. Isaiah in the in the Old Testament, Isaiah says, and also Elisha says. Take away this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Beautiful passage. And so I think that to the extent that that Parkinson's can help give you a heart of flesh, that's the hope. That's good. That's beautiful. Oh, we should all want for a heart of flesh. Well, John, I want to ask the uh, question I ask at the end of every conversation. If you had just a single piece of advice that you could dispense on the people who are listening today that might afford them as an audience member a little more peace, a little more healing, a little more comfort inside of uncertain times, what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, you, you spoke before about empathy. And reckon, you know, in, in Judaism, there's one of the blessings, one of the blessings that you give is, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has made such diverse creatures. And that means you see, let's say you see a humpback, you see somebody with Parkinson's, you see uh, somebody who's on the street and uh, begging. But we're all diverse creatures. It's not just the obese man or the man talking to himself on the subway. It's we're all diverse. We're all, we're all broken. We're all broken. We're all, in fact, I've, I've written about the congregation of the broken. And, and, and it begins with this, the narrator, me, looking at this obese man next to him. I don't know if you read this story, but he looks at this obese man and he's disgusted. And by the end, he recognizes that they're one. There's, there's, and, and he says, when the stranger stands, I stand up beside him, though this isn't an anniversary of the death of my son or of my parents. Does the stranger understand? My shoulder, my shirt sleeves, press the sleeve of his jacket. Again, I feel the heat emanating from him. We recite the Kaddish. And the other thing is to say, if you can get through, go through this and live it, you can get some compassion and peace and uh, the comfort of not trying so hard, not pushing, but accepting. That's about it. I love it. John, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it and your willingness to tell your story. I know that it will affect the people who get to hear this and create for them a bridge of empathy for what Parkinson's means and how persevering through terminal diagnosis is a thing that inevitably people in their life will have to face. You faced it bravely. 
your writing is something that will affect people generations and generations to come. So thank you so much for that. For anyone who's listening, I want to encourage you take a picture of this episode and share it with the people inside of your community so that we can welcome other people into the story of what perseverance looks like through terminal diagnosis. And between now and then, give yourself a little bit of grace. Accept the things that you cannot control and work towards showing up as well as you possibly can, regardless of your circumstance. We will see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.